We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. As we have a, for me anyways, it's a difficult study because it's just like a, a list of a, a lot of different things that, you know, we can probably just go over and I could give you the definition of. And so many of these things are so vital that uh, I feel bad going through it so quickly. But, um, you know, we're going to give it a shot and see what happens here. As we look, first of all, at the many requirements that God's called pastors to. And then we're going to look at the mighty results when those pastors live the life that God desires of us. Now, as we go through the study, you know, we know Paul is writing to Timothy. And uh, so we know uh, for sure that it is uh, directly, you know, you know, for pastors. But, you know, don't tune out. You know, don't think, well, if I'm not a pastor, therefore this doesn't apply to me. Because we're going to see as we go through here today that, that many of these things are just things that all Christians should have. As a matter of fact, um, when the leaders are right, when those pastors are right with the Lord, then it, oftentimes it spills over into the lives of the congregation. And that's kind of what uh, Paul is writing about. That's kind of what he's working towards. And so let's read the text and then we'll come back and we'll look at the list that we have here. He says in verse 12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct in love and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. And this is kind of a summary verse right here. He says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. He kind of gives Timothy uh, many requirements, and then I think if Timothy lives up to that, he's going to see mighty results. But there was a challenge, you know, for being a pastor in that city, big city, he was kind of relatively speaking, culturally speaking, he was a young man. Um, we're not sure how old Timothy was. More than likely, when Paul first found him, you know, maybe he was in early 20s. And so now we're talking about 15 years later, maybe about 35 years old, maybe a little older. In those days, that was considered young. And so for those of you who are 30, 35, you're still young, according to the Bible, okay? If you're over that, forget it, man, no. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Even in the early 40s, the rabbis had a saying. They said, in your 30s, you could lead, but in your 40s, you would, you would acquire discernment. And we know that's true, huh? I mean, you know, I know I, I, God can use a younger pastor, but I tell you what, when someone's been walking with the Lord, for a long time. I'm not just talking about being old, but let's just say somebody who's been walking with the Lord, growing in the Lord, studying the Bible, let's just say for 20, 25, 30 years. You know, you see that maturity in an individual like that. 
And so Timothy, he definitely had his work cut out for him and that he was in the Lord maybe 15 years. He was set there by God, but he was relatively speaking young. And so Paul says, in order for you to come to that place where no one would despise you or look down on you or think less of you, because as a leader, you know, and if I could just share this with you, if you don't, if you don't have that, that, that regard for your, for your leader, then you might as well go somewhere else. Because how can they lead you? Because you have that in your heart. You know, you need to go somewhere where you have uh, an, a certain esteem. And so what he's saying to Timothy is very important. And as we go through the scriptures, we see that there are some times where Paul will write to the congregation, time them not to despise Timothy because he was a faithful servant. Here he directs it towards Timothy. He says, don't, well, don't let him despise you. You do your part in that here's the first thing, that you be an example to them. Let no one despise your youth, but here it is. This is what you need to do. You need to be an example to the believers. And he gives a list of six things right here that in one sense they all stand alone in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. You know, to be an example to the believer. You know, when you think of Timothy's situation, you know, what do you do when someone despises your authority? When they, they don't want you as a leader, they, they blow you off, they think little of you. You know, for some of us here, we might, you know, we might then usurp our authority. We might then, you know, uh, be more aggressive or, or be more, more pushy in our leadership. John Stott asked this question. He says, how then should young Christian leaders react in this situation? He says, not by boastful, assertive, aggressive behavior, not by throwing their weight around, not by in trying to impose their will. No, this is what we do. We try our best then to be an example to them. We do it in a humble way. That's kind of what he's saying right here. You know what, Timothy? God puts you there. You know, and I don't know about you, but whatever the leadership capacity is, maybe you're here as a dad, you're here as a husband, you're here as a ministry leader. You know, God puts you there. And I know so many times we feel inadequate because we are inadequate. We are unable. We are unworthy. But God puts you there. And so you know what? Here's what we got to do, man. We just have to try Try to live the life. And so there's things that he gives right here that we need to take heed to. But, you know, Peter said the same thing. In First Peter 5, in verse 2 and 3, he tells the guys, he says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted you, but here it is, same thing. He says, as a leader, being examples to the flock. You know, and that's what we're called to do. Again, John Stott said, the great temptation whenever our leadership is questioned or threatened or resisted is to assert it all the more strongly. He says, but leadership and lordship are two quite different concepts. The Christian leads by example, not force, and it's to be a model who invites a following, not a boss who compels one. You see, and that's where we're supposed to be. Timothy was to be an example. The Greek word tupos, it speaks of an individual that has been patterned by blows, and therefore they are an example to the flock. We see the same thing in Titus chapter 2, verse 7, where Paul tells Titus, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, 
Philippians 3.17, he says, man, mimic me as I mimic the Lord, join in following my example. And so, pastors, we have that responsibility. We have that calling. You know, I remember one time I heard a guy uh, share a message on this, and it was really heavy. It really impacted me. He said, as a pastor, you know, you want to be an example to them. And, you know, because they're oftentimes going to be like you, unfortunately, you know, and I thank God that you guys are, are, you know, you know the Lord and you're following after him. But just with that concept, you know, he said this, imagine if everybody in the congregation was praying like you pray. Imagine if everybody in the congregation was giving like you give. Imagine if everyone was, their marriage was like your marriage. Their parenting was like your parenting. Their passion for ministry was was like yours. I mean, just in every area of your life. He says, that's kind of the concept that we have to have, you know, because it's not about us. It's about us living the way God wants us to live because of the people that he loves so much. And so he says, first of all, you need to be an example in word. The way that you talk. The Greek word is logos, and it refers to words we speak as a result of the thoughts that we think, the reasoning we then, the heart that we have. And Paul tells Timothy, let your words be exemplary so that you can be an example. This would, of course, include his teaching, but more than likely, this one right here is in reference to all of his speech. The way that he talks, you know, in casual conversations, the way that he talks in the house, the way that he talks when maybe he might let his guard down, all those things need to be right with the Lord. You know, and some guys, some people, you know, they're not careful. And they say things they shouldn't say, and sometimes it's slander, sometimes it's gossip. Sometimes they shoot from the hip and they say, hey, I just say it as it is, and they have loose lips, they vent all their feelings. They're just not careful they're not considerate in their conversation and what he's saying is especially as a leader you need to pray psalm 141 verse 3 where it says set a guard O lord over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips you know jesus said in matthew chapter 12 verse 36 that we will give an account for every idle word that we speak And so we need to be an example, number one, in word, and then number two, in conduct. The Greek word right here, astrophe, refers to one's manner of life. You know, and uh, and I know this this is a heavy, you know, task, but it's just our life. Our entire life needs to be an example to other believers. You know, what would it be like, you guys, and when you think about this, what what speaks louder Actions or words? Actions do, huh? Now, not that words aren't important. We just got done talking about the logos and the things that we say. But a lot of times we can tear things down, what we what we say, by the way that we live. And that's what he's trying to say, you know. Whether uh, we live, we have to make sure that we send a message that is good. As leaders, we need to know the fact that people really are watching your life. You know, it's kind of weird putting this other step right here on the platform. I I don't know how it happened. It just kind of, you know, there are times, I guess, when we, when I would sit down on Thursday nights and because I'm I'm, I'm vertically challenged, um, 
know, some people will say, well, I couldn't see you, so don't sit down anymore. But every once in a while, I like to sit down because, you know, you get tired or just kind of want to have that different atmosphere at times. And so we put the next step up. But it's kind of like, you know, that's kind of like a symbolic of the way it is for those of us that are leading worship or leading, you know, in any way that we are visible. Uh, I remember one person said that your life is in a fishbowl and everybody is scrutinizing you. Everything you do, the car that you drive, the house that you live in, the way that you dress, the way that your kids are, everything about you, they're scrutinizing you. You know, and, and it's okay. That's, that's part of the calling. I remember talking to Shelly about that and just saying, you know, we accept that. But there is, a, there is a responsibility in that as well. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. You have to be an example in word. You have to be an example in your life, in your conduct. And then thirdly, right here, he says you have to be an example in, in love. You know, in love. The Greek word is agape. It's that divine love, fruit of the Holy Spirit, when you unconditionally, sacrificially seek someone else's highest good. And so, you know, we need to be examples to believers in the way that we love God manifested through a life of obedience and the way that we love others, considering them and esteeming them better than ourselves, you know, uh, not the selfish, sloppy agape, right? But real love. Again, going back to that question, what if everyone loved the way you do? You know, and, and uh you know, you guys, I really pray that we would be known for our love. You know, up to this point, I know we've heard testimonies of people saying, you know, when I've gone to Calvary Chapel Almani, you know, I feel the love and I, and I sense the love. And, you know, I, I don't know for sure. You know, I can be biased, you know. So, uh, you know, I know the Lord is the only one who knows for sure. But I, I pray that it would be real in my life, that I would really love God, that I would really love you, that it would never be about, well, we want more people or whatever. You know, we're more interested in, you know, finances or programs or no. It's people. It's people that are hurting, people that are broken, people that need Jesus, you know. And if that ever, if I ever lose that, then that will trickle down through the congregation. And I think I've seen that happen where I think people and sometimes pastors you know, it's just not about the Lord anymore. It's not about the people anymore. And they get caught up in just petty things or, or ugly things. And what he's telling Timothy is you need to be an example in word, in your lips and in your life and in your love. Let it be real. You know, and, and then he goes into the list right here. And he says, no one... Despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love. And then he uses the word in spirit. And there's a couple of views on this. Because the Greek word is the word pneuma. And, you know, uh, we get our word Holy Spirit uh, from this word. And so it might be in reference to an individual who is just under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You know, where there's that anointing in their life. You know, where there's that anointing. And they're, you know, they're living according to his will. They're bearing fruit. And that's a possibility right here. But more than likely, this is in reference to that other way this word is used throughout the scriptures in which an individual uh, has the soul. The, the word refers to the vital principle by which the body is animated, the rational spirit, the power by which the human being feels, thinks, and decides. 
And some even bring it over here and they take that whole thing to, to just find a pastor who is passionate. You know, and, and, I, and it's kind of like zeal, but it's with knowledge. You know, I know my pastor, Pastor Rawl, we go and, and we, we sit under his teaching on Tuesday mornings and, and he always talks about that. He talks about how sometimes these guys, they don't have that passion anymore. That's not in their life. There's not that, you know, just that, that divine drive for the kingdom of God. And he says, you know, they, they lack that spirit. You know, I kind of like, I don't know if you guys have ever come to that place in your walk as a Christian where you're just going through the motions. Just going through the motions. And you're, you know, you know how to do the routine, but you've lost the fire. That's what he's saying. He said, when you're, when you're a leader, you got to have that fire. You know, you have to have that passion. You have to have that spirit about you. You know, kind of like when you guys, uh, do you remember when you were in high school and you would go to the pep rallies? Kind of like that. I mean, if you were popular, you did. I know that. I know. <laughs> and the cheerleaders were there. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? And I hate when they do that in Christian events, by the way. I don't like that. I never participate in those things. But you know what I'm talking about where you're like, man, this is, you know, you're excited about the Lord. That's what he's saying, you know. You need to be an example, Timothy, in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, and in, in faith. You know, uh, the Greek word is that word pistis, referring to the conviction, the beliefs, and the truths of God revealed primarily in and through his word. I mean, there's some pastors out there that don't even believe the Bible. I don't even know what they're doing up there, you know? I mean, but even if you say you do, and you can maybe acknowledge the veracity of Scripture and the inerrancy and whatever you call it, verbal plenary inspiration, but in many times they're not really, really believing the Bible. It's kind of interesting. He says, Timothy, I want you to be an example to believers of what a believer really is. And how is that? By having faith. Faith primarily based in God's word. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so it's cool when Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I want you to be a man of faith holding on to the promises of God that save and sanctify men of faith that glorifies God. And you know, we need that. We really, we really do. I, I don't think there's a person here who has not been inspired by those stories of faith where people have held on to the, the truth of God's word and has transformed their lives. You know, this last Thursday, we were studying the life of David and uh, we're going through, you know, the whole thing that happened to him and, and his kingdom. But when you trace the story of David, uh, most of us are probably familiar with the story of David and Goliath, right? And how David slew Goliath. But that was all, I think, prepared for when David was just a shepherd boy and he was out in the fields and he was there just worshiping God, praying, watching over the sheep. And then one day, think about this, one day a lion comes. And so visualize yourself as a shepherd and a lion comes, or we'll just say a bear comes. What would you do? How many of you here would run? Is that a curiosity? Most of us here would run, right? But what did David do? He took a step of faith. I think he was in the word. I think he was, I mean, it's got to be the Lord. I mean, if you're going to fight a bear or if you're going to fight a lion, 
it's got to be the Lord. And so he was there and spending his quiet time with the Lord. A bear comes and he, and he grabs it by the beard and he kills it. And, he, and you know, the, the lion comes and he takes away the sheep and he goes after it and he brings it back. And what had happened in David's life was he discovered how awesome God is, how powerful God is. What he had experienced in these small areas of his faithfulness is God's mighty outstretched arm flexing his muscles of power and that and that faith faith is like a muscle and some of us here you know it's been a long time since you worked out if you know what i mean man and you can't bench any plates anymore i mean you know what i mean i mean some of us here that that faith muscle is weak and you need to exercise it so what happened was david had this strong faith in god and one day there's goliath presenting himself to the nation of israel for 40 days, defying the Lord, defying the armies of the living God. And so David said, I don't get it. Why are you guys all just sitting around doing nothing? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And what did David do? He said, I'll find him. Saul said, you can't find him. You're young and inexperienced. He's been a warrior since his youth. And David says, no, I can't fight him. And the Lord will deliver him into my hands. This is how I know, because he's done it before. Right? And David went. What did he do? He killed the giant, cut off his head, and hung on to it as a trophy. Right? And, and what ended up happening with that, you guys? We read about it last Thursday in our study, that there, now this guy is killing giants. Now this guy is killing giants. Now this guy is, now David's nephew is killing giants. His family, it's why? It's because he was a man of faith. He was an example to the believers, right? And what ends up happening? Boom. They all end up catching the vision. Now, some of you here, you're going through trials, going through temptations. And as you go through those trials with your eyes on Jesus, you will be used by God to help others when they're going through the same thing. It's kind of like a Romans 8.28 you know, you know that all things work together for good, right? To those who love God and who are the called according to his purposes. And you just know that and you believe that by faith. Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to be an example in these things. In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and then in purity. The Greek word right here is found only here. And then in 1 Timothy 5.2, and it speaks of sexual purity, but it also speaks of innocence and integrity of heart. The word refers to a purity of act as well as thought. And one of the things that's kind of a drag nowadays, you guys, and um, man, my heart just goes out to you. And uh, it's almost like pastors are not known for their purity nowadays. It's almost like pastors are known for their impurity nowadays. Where you see these guys, and I, just, and I guess it's because they're targets, but they fall into adultery. They fall into sexual sin. Where you see these pastors that are addicted to pornography, and there's not that, that purity. How does that happen? How could such a man in such a place do such a thing? Well, I'll tell you how, how it happens because it's, the, the, it's, it's kind of it's within the word purity that they're, no, they're not pure, that in their life 
There are compromises going on. In their life, there are things that are not surrendering to the Lord. And what ends up happening is those little foxes, they add up. And next thing you know, the sky is falling. See, and that's, you know, Paul writing to Timothy, knowing the challenges that they would have. He says, what you need to do, Timothy, is you need to be an example. And this is not an exhaustive list. Of course, when we talk about one's life, that's everything. But here we have some things to meditate on. And so he says, Timothy, you need to be an example. I tell you what, let me share these things with you so that you can think about them. And then we read in verse 13, he says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. And so, you guys, we're learning, you know, and I, and I pray you're learning. I, I pray that I'm learning. I've never taught the pastoral epistles before, so I, I want to learn. I want to be a sponge. And, and what he's saying right here is uh, you need to give attention to these things. Now, Paul was planning to go to Ephesus. Uh, we don't know for sure how long it would be, and even probably he didn't know because travel arrangements back in those days were not as easy as they are now. But he says, until I come, I want you to give attention to these things. Now, what we read in verse 12 is more like his personal requirements. And we read now in verse 13 is almost like his ministry requirements. And these are a few things that you want to look for. These are the few things that we want pastors to be literally to give attention to. It means to be addicted to. This is what we should be doing in the church. We need to be giving attention to these things. We need to be almost like addicted to these things. Number one, reading. Number two, exhortation. And then number three, doctrine, which is teaching. And so, um, reading. Uh, how many of you guys here like to read? Good. How many of you guys here just like to read the sports page? Is that a curiosity? That's how I was before I was a Christian. That's all I read, you know? And then when I became a Christian, God put a hunger inside of me to begin to read. Now, some say that this is in reference to reading the scriptures publicly in the context of church services. You know, in the Jewish culture, uh, there in the synagogue, there would first be the reading of the scriptures, and then that would be followed by the exposition or the teaching of the scriptures. And that is something that we do here. I just read it to you once, and then I'm reading to you again. And that's exactly what they would do in the Jewish culture. But they would do it a little different. Some churches, like for example, if you were to go over to the Anglican church in England, all they do is one guy reads it, and then the next guy expounds on it. It doesn't really matter who reads it, as long as somebody reads it. And that's what he's saying here. You need to be addicted to reading the Bible, right? And I, and I think it's probably even more than that. It could also refer to Timothy's personal reading, beginning, of course, with the scriptures themselves in Psalm 1, and then perhaps even other books to glean from and to grow from. Now, not everybody's a reader, but I tell you what, if you turn off the TV and if you start maybe reading godly books, of course, priority being your Bible, man, the Lord will teach you so much. I know that's what happened to me when I first got saved. There was a bookstore right next door. We would just, I would just buy books and just started consuming them. And that's probably what Paul is writing here. It's interesting, later when Paul's about to die, in 2 Timothy 4.13, he says, Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come 
and the books, plural, but he says especially the parchments. So that's kind of cool. You've got that priority of the Bible and, and maybe other books that you grow from. Somebody who, who also is on fire. You know, sometimes you learn from dead people, man. They, they died a long time ago, but their books, their messages are still there. And you learn from C.H. Spurgeon. Or you learn from someone like you know, Warren Wiersbe or maybe a John Stott. But somebody who died with integrity. And it's kind of cool, man. You learn from them. He says, as, as a pastor, be addicted to, to reading. Uh, be addicted, secondly, to exhortation. Now, exhortation speaks of admonition and encouragement. The dictionary defines exhortation as an address or communication urging someone to do something. And so just like right now, I urged you to read your Bibles, turn off the TV, maybe read the Bible. That right there is an exhortation. Some even see this as counseling. See, basically, when you put it all together, the ministry of a proper pastor, a loving leader, and a caring Christian who warns people of things that are harmful, who encourages people to take heart, not be afraid, not to give up. Why? Because the Lord is with you. Who sends a message out and just, you know, repent. Repent of your sins that you're committing or the things that you're omitting. Why? Because what we find is that those things will hold you back. They'll get in the way of your relationship with the Lord. And we can do that from the pulpit. We can do that in private. Paul wrote to Timothy, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. He tells Timothy, give attention to, number one, uh, reading, number two, exhortation, and then number three is teaching, which is really the word doctrine, which is what it encompasses. Again, he says, till I come, give attention to reading and to exhortation and to doctrine. And the word doctrine is found 21 times in the Bible, 15 times in the pastoral epistles, and eight times in First Timothy. If you remember back in chapter 1, if you want to turn there real quick, look at verse 3. He says, as I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Last week we read in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nursed in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. And so that's, you know, what we're doing as a church. You know, we're trying to teach the word. And, you know, one of the things that we do at Calvary Chapel is we teach through the whole Bible, you know, from Genesis to Revelation. And that way we can get the full counsel of God. Because as we're going through the scriptures, we're going to study all the things that God wants us to know. You know, Ephesians 4, it talks about how people, when they don't have the teaching of the, of the word, when there's not that doctrine, then they get tossed around to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You guys know better, huh? Um, I was talking to my son the other day, and he was telling me about an individual who wasn't sure whether or not Jesus is God. And so I asked him, well, how long has he been coming here? And, you know, we were having that conversation. And I said, well, if they've been coming here for a while, they should know Jesus is God. They should know the doctrine of the Trinity. They should know salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. They should know what we teach. That's our responsibility as teachers. 
And you guys know better. Like if you turn on the TV and let's just say some guy says, give $100 and you'll get $1,000. Okay. You guys know better, right? That he's a quack, right? That that's not the Lord. You guys know better that if you turn on the TV and you're listening to somebody and they're teaching something like, you know, uh, you everybody's supposed to be healthy. And if you're not healthy, then, you know, you're in sin or you lack faith. And what do they do to you? They make you feel like you are a second class Christian that, you know, that, you know, you're the problem. When in all reality, God is sovereign. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that we can't pray for someone to get healed, but we know better than those things. We know that there are times when God, like in Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul asked three times, Lord, take away this thorn in the flesh, right? And the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient. How God will carry us through those times. You see, we know better. Why? Because we've studied the Bible, you guys. And it could be anything. It could be issues on abortion or homosexuality or whatever the case may be, life as a husband or a wife. I mean, you name it. It's so cool to know. And I've seen it through you guys, man. You're good Bereans, and we know better. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, we're, we're not carried away. Like it says in Hebrews 13:9, do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines. And so... Like I said, Paul, there's a lot here, you guys. Let's start again in verse 12. He says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit, in faith and purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And then he says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. You know, for whatever reason, I don't know why, uh, but you read it also in 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 and 7. Timothy was afraid to exercise his gift. Something was getting in the way. And, uh, and so Paul encouraged him in 2 Timothy, here in 1 Timothy, not to neglect the gift that he had. You know, the word neglect, it basically means that you don't care. That's really what it means, literally. It's you're unconcerned with it. You're like, so what? God gave me a gift. I'll tell you what, I'm going to bury it. Matthew chapter 25 is the parable of the talents where Jesus gave some five and some two, some one. It doesn't matter how many you have. But what matters is that the gift that you've been given from God that you exercise that gift, that you don't neglect to exercise that gift. It's important because one day we're going to give an account for that. You know, that guy, he only had one talent. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play it safe. And you know what he did? He buried the gift. He buried the talent. And you know what the Lord called him? Wicked and lazy. Wicked and You guys aren't wicked and lazy, are you? <laughs> I encourage you, man, Find out what gift you have. Discover your gifts, develop your gifts, and deploy those gifts for the glory of God because they've been given to you for the benefit of his people. We're all different parts of the body of Christ, right? And we want to make sure that we exercise those gifts. The Bible says many times, Romans chapter 12, verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them, right? 1 Peter 4, verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, 
as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you're here today and you're bearing your gift and one day you stand before Jesus Christ and you are reprimanded by him, don't blame it on us. We told you that you have to find out what gift you have and you have to give it up for the glory of God, right? You have to exercise it diligently. Maybe you're here today and you don't know what gifts you have. Then I would encourage you to pray. Maybe even, um, I don't know, meet with the elders or like it talks about right here how they laid hands on them. And there was like a word spoken over Timothy, man. And sometimes even the gifts are given by that. But if you're here, you're a Christian, you have a supernatural gift. And so whatever position you have, I always tell people, like if you're on a baseball team, you usually know what position you play, right? Uh, shortstop, second base, first base, third base if you have a good arm, whatever the case may be. Imagine being on a team and like, well, I don't know what position I play. I'm just on the team. That's how it is if you're in the church and you don't know what gift you have. So he tells Timothy, man, don't neglect that gift. More than likely, this was the gift of just being a pastor teacher. Oh, I don't know if I can do it. you know. And we can be paralyzed by those things where I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. And, and, and the Lord says, no, you go. I put you there, Timothy. I put you there. And God says the same thing to you, even though you feel unworthy or even though you feel unable. God says, I put you there. And so I want you to thrive in that place that I put you. He goes on to say in verse 15, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. When was the last time you meditated? You're like, Manny, I don't do that. That's for, that's for weird people, right? They get into a yoga position and they put their hands, fingers like this, and they empty their mind. No, that's, that's really, you know, they, they kind of stole the concept from us as Christians but Christians, we don't, we don't empty our minds. We fill our minds. And I'll tell you what, and I know this through my own failures, that the reason I don't meditate is because I'm too busy. I just, sometimes I just get too busy where I can't just stop and read and ponder and think and pray and, 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 you know, just chew on this. But meditation is vital if we're going to be healthy Christians. You know, that cow, he's got the four stomachs. He chews it. It goes down, and then it comes back up, right? And what does he do? He chews it again and again and again. That's what he's saying. You know, I'm giving you a requirement, Timothy, but there's going to be results, People are going to get saved. You, you're going to be saved. But you need to do this. You need to meditate on these things. And then as he says, he says, you need to give yourself entirely to them. You know, and for us here, we all have roles and responsibilities. And, uh, and once we find out what they are, we got to just go full bore. Have you guys ever heard that saying, jack of all trades, master of none? Okay, that can't be us as Christians. 
Don't go do what other people tell you to do. You do what God calls you to do, but you do it well. And you do it for the glory of God. You give yourself entirely to them, right? You know, my son, I remember one time he was talking to a, another guy. My son, he was, this was years ago. He was really young. And he was giving him some counsel. And he, this is what my son told him. He says, well, you know, it's kind of like uh, Solomon. Solomon had no heart. I mean, I'm sorry, Saul. Saul had no heart. So you can't be like Saul. He said, and then there's Solomon. Solomon had half a heart. Can't be like Solomon. He said, but David. David had a whole heart, right? And that's where I think a lot of times the challenges are, you guys, where in all reality, when, when this, the truth is revealed, you and I, we are not wholehearted Christians. We got one foot in and one foot out. And God says, you know what? If that's you, um, it, I don't like the way that tastes, and I will vomit you out of my mouth. You got to give yourself entirely to the Lord. Because he's coming, and we got to be ready. And that's what he's telling Timothy, you know. And for us as, as pastors especially, you know, I mean, just, and I know you guys, you understand this, but imagine a pastor who's not right, who's not right with the Lord, who's not completely in love with God. Imagine that. But it happens all the time. And it's a wake-up call for us pastors. And it's a wake-up call for leaders that we're not messing around. We're not playing games. This is so important what we're doing. And we have to meditate on these things. And we have to give ourselves entirely to these things. He says, so that your, your progress, it may be evident to all. You know, the cool thing about that right there is that you know, it tells us a couple of things. Um, you know, we should always be growing. We should always be growing. We should always be so hungry for God. We should always be so thirsty for the Holy Spirit in our life. We should always want to go forward. None of us have arrived. And, you know, that's what he's telling Timothy. You know, there's got to be progress you know, and, and, and when you look at that right there, I think it's important for a couple of reasons. Number one, in looking at this, what we find is that, you know, the example what Christian leaders set, it should be progressive. People should be able to observe not only what they are, but what they are becoming. Supplying evidence that they are growing into maturity in Christ. Now, some Christian leaders imagine that they have to appear perfect with no visible flaws or blemishes. And so, you know, I don't know if you guys can see that within that text right there, progress. Okay, that means he's going forward, but it also means he's not perfect, you know. And so here's the thing. He says, but there's a couple of reasons why this is a mistake. You know, oh, I have to be perfect. I have to make sure everybody, everybody thinks I'm perfect. He says, first, it's hypocritical. It's hypocritical. Why? Because no one's perfect. You guys know that? You know that? Okay, no one's perfect, right? Except for you. And then what we find right here. <laughs> Secondly, here's the thing. The pretense discourages people who then suppose that their leaders are perfect and exceptionally and almost inhuman. 
And what does that do? Well, oh man, that's, you know, it should be something that I'm living a perfect life. And he says, no. But, but again, you know, built into that, there should at, at least though be a progress that's taking place. And even Paul is so cool after 30 years of being a Christian. He says, not that I had already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Are you guys still hungry? I mean, do you still want more of the Lord? Don't you still want to be like him and experience his power? I pray that you do, man. He says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, right? And so we need to make sure that we examine our lives as pastors, and we have to make sure that we're teaching the word as pastors, and we need to make sure that we continue in them. Now, you guys, you know, I'm not a, like a, a prophet in that I would, you know, be able to foretell the future. But I, w- I do believe that we are on the brink of a great apostasy. That there is a great apostasy, there's a great falling away. And we've already begun to see a lot of that. And that's why I tell you guys, especially you younger people, the next generation, you know, unless the Lord breathes on this country, unless there is a great repentance followed by a revival, man, there is going to be a great falling away. And they're going to prop up churches where they don't teach the Bible. They're going to prop up churches where they do other things, where they show videos, where they do skits, where they do maybe a 15-minute you know, Bible study. It's a sermonette for Christianettes, right? How are they going to grow on a 15-minute Bible study, right? That's what's going to happen. And so that's why, and Paul knows this, and Paul's writing, and he says, man, take heed to yourself, Timothy, and make sure that your teaching is right, the doctrine is right, and make sure you continue in them. you got to keep doing this, Timothy. Why? Because we read last week in chapter 4, verse 1, he said, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will do what? They will depart from the faith. And so a lot here Many requirements, but the beautiful thing is there's mighty results. Again, look at the end of verse 16. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now you're like, wait a minute. What do you mean save yourself? No one can save themselves. It's true. Of course, Paul couldn't and didn't save anyone, nor could Timothy. But what we have here is a language which ascribes to evangelists the vessels of salvation which God himself affects indirectly through the gospel they proclaim. And this is, you know, where where it all just kind of comes together. You're like, well, I want to do all these things because I want to please the Lord. I he died for me and I and I owe him my life. And if he tells me. To jump, I will jump. Whatever he tells me to do, I will do. And that's the way we should be. But he doesn't tell you to do those things, you know, without a reason. And the reason is he wants people saved. He wants to save the lost. And I think that when you when you come into the kingdom, you get that heart as well. When you're when you're right with the Lord, you're just so consumed that people would get saved. And that's what he's saying right here. He's just saying when you're doing these, you know, many requirements, Timothy, 
you're going to get mighty results. And, and not only, you know, saved from the fires of hell, not on your way to heaven, but just saved in the sense that, you know, this is what you were saved for, where people, husbands and wives and parents and children and families and single people and just people that come to church, they're experiencing the fullness of life. Is they're working out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Because God is working in them both to will and to do for his good pleasure, you see. And that's what ends up happening when you're doing things God's way. And it's a heavy warning. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. Maybe you're here today and, you know, bottom line is, if you were to die today, you would go to hell. Or maybe you don't know what would happen to you. You know, I want to encourage you today and just beg you and implore you to know that if you die without Jesus, you're not going to heaven. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, yeah, but I'm a pretty good person. I never killed anybody. I never did prison time. And maybe you are. And maybe you're here today and you're better than all of us. But let me tell you something. Even if you were better than all of us, you would not be good enough to go to heaven on your own righteousness. You need Jesus. What does the Bible say? That he died for you on that cross and all his sins. All your sins were laid on him. And that if you would repent of your sins and receive him as Lord and Savior of your life, where you're like, okay, Lord, you call the shots from now on. I need you, Lord. I can't make it without you. Then when you make that decision, it's so cool. Then, man, the Lord comes in and he saves you and he does a new work in your life. You know, that right there is important. It's important for us to give the warning that if you don't receive Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, that you'll go to hell, that you will perish. And who knows? Maybe you used to be right on with the Lord, but you're not anymore. And now you're on the wrong track. You need to get back on track. You need to get back with the Lord. You know, one last thing in closing is that a lot of people believe that that last verse right there is a, a verse that takes us over to Ezekiel chapter 3 or Ezekiel chapter 33. And what that verse right there speaks of is the watchman. It speaks of the watchman. And uh, the Lord, you know, is speaking through Ezekiel. And he says, okay, uh, you, you know, you watchmen, if there's a guy over there who's not living right, if there's a guy, it doesn't even matter if he used to be, you know, so right on. If he's not living right and you don't warn him and then he perishes, he says, then I will require his blood at your hands, right? But he says, but if you do warn him and whether he turns, whether he doesn't, doesn't matter, then your hands are clean. And I think that that's what, at least part of what Paul is saying to Timothy, that if you do these things, that if you preach the gospel, that if you're right in the ministry, then you're going to save, you're going to save yourself from some of these things. I remember one time I heard Joel Osteen in an interview, and you know, they, they, they said, hey, how come you never talk about sin? How come you never talk about sin? And he said, well, God hasn't called me to do that, right? Oh, yes, he has. God's called you to teach the Bible, not your own word, not your own message that makes people feel good, 
Because a lot of times that message that makes people feel good is not what they need. It could be the worst thing for them. God's called us to warn people, right? And what Paul says is, I haven't shunned to declare to you in Acts chapter 20, verse 8, 26, 18, the full counsel of God. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 20, verse 26 and 27. And he says, therefore, what? My hands are clean. And so that's what we need to do as a church. And I pray, you guys, that you would pray for me. I know I know this head. I know I know you, I use this word a lot, but you know, I, I, in many ways, I'm a knucklehead, right? I'm a knucklehead. But I want I want to grow. I want to grow as a servant. And I and I pray. You know, I remember one time. You know, they they said, and I know it doesn't always work like this because it kind of works both ways. But they said that uh, sometimes you get a good pastor when you have a good congregation. And I know there's, there's a lot of truth to that and that they're praying for me. But also I think it, it also works the other way around where when, when, when the head is rotten, then that affects the whole congregation. And that's why you guys, you know, together, together we, we would just, man, do the right thing. We know that the Lord is the head of the church, but then he uses other guys. And we have, you know, I'm blessed, you know, to, to have like Joey and Richard and myself and some of the other guys that have given their life, really, you know, to be pastors. And then you've got the different overseers that need prayer. All these things are applicable to us. And so we're not playing church. You know, God's doing a really, really cool work. And, uh, and yet... You know, there's a lot of work to do. And so let me close in prayer, especially wanting to pray for anyone here who's not a Christian. I pray that today would be the day. Guys, let's pray. Father, we just come before you today, Lord. And I know, Lord, I, I went through a lot today. But um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just quicken these words to our heart and to the church. Father, I pray for anyone here today who's not a Christian, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation, Lord, that, that they would know, even as your word says, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That that's the whole, you know, mission statement that Jesus has is for the lost. And then you said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And so that's our mission statement as well. And so, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that everyone here, Lord, would just commit their life, recommit their life to follow hard after you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're here today, let's all stand.